Welcome to our Clothe with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the scriptures of the day. My name is James Thomas, and today is Saturday, August the 26th, 2023. It is the 20th Saturday of Ordinary Time. It is a day in which we honor Our Lady being a Saturday in Ordinary Time. It is also, I am told, the Feast of Our Lady of Czestochowa, which is a uh, Polish feast. And uh, I was there once, and it's a very beautiful shrine. We actually have a beautiful shrine to Our Lady of Częstochowa as well in Pennsylvania. I forget the town, but it's a very beautiful place. I highly recommend people to go and visit. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called Master. You have but one Master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I just spoke about this the other day, this topic. I mean, this is a new reading for us, but the topic of, and it's very much connected to Our Lady, so it's a great topic for today. Also a great topic for Our Lady of Chestahova, which, um, you know, Our Lady of Chestahova has intervened and interceded for the Polish people on numerous occasions when they were poor, when they were needy, when they were outmanned and outgunned, and still they defeated their enemies, they drove back their enemies, they defeated people with large armies and lots of money and resources. It just goes to show, well, Our Lady, as I had said the other day, in her Magnificat, I mean, imagine if you're the mother of God, and you only get a couple words in the Bible. You really don't get to say a lot. I mean, over time, she's going to say tons. And in heaven, I'm going to talk to her forever. <laughs> but in the Bible, she doesn't say much. But the one time she does get a little segment there, a little little opportunity to say what's on her mind, she says her Magnificat. And in her Magnificat, she talks about raising up the lowly, and taking down those who are above others, the lofty. And so it's a really important theme for Jesus and his mother. They live in poverty, but he's God. He has religious leaders opposing him who are not God, who are actually very far from God. And so he points this out. And one of the points that's made here is what I believe to be pretty much the worst sin, and it is the original sin. I mean, of course, we can talk about sin in so many different categories, mortal and venial and capital sins, and we can analyze original sin, exactly what it is and what was going on with Adam and Eve, but also what was going on with Lucifer 
and even motivations, uh, you know, why, why would somebody want to lose grace? Why would somebody want to lose God's friendship? But anyway, getting back to my opinion here, the sin of Lucifer is not just pride. It's a spiritual pride. And Jesus, the only time Jesus really gets angry and really just rails on people for their sins is when he's addressing the religious leaders who are essentially guilty of the same sins as Lucifer. And it's a spiritual pride. It is a pride that says, yes, look at me. Look how close I am to God. Look at how great I am in the order of grace and nature. I mean, with the religious leaders, it's more the in, in grace, but they're really not in grace. That's the irony. That's the problem. Um, Lucifer, when he was in heaven, all right, originally it was grace. Then it really was just nature. With the Pharisees, no, by the order of nature, they're, they're just human beings like the rest of us. Lucifer is the greatest creature ever made, really, by the order of nature. But now he's defeated by our ninth choir, very common, but we love them and they're amazing and they're wonderful, guardian angels. He's defeated by the lowest of angels because they're in grace and he is not. Lucifer is defeated by the smallest child who says a prayer. Lucifer is defeated by anyone on earth, human being, who is in the state of grace, who is able to say a prayer with genuine faith because Lucifer has lost grace. Anyway, this isn't going to be a sermon about the devil. It's a sermon about this sin because Jesus really just goes after these religious leaders. And it's important that he does. Sometimes I feel guilty because I talk about priests and bishops and maybe even the Pope. And it's true we're supposed to have respect for our religious leaders, and it's also true we're not supposed to gossip. But sometimes it is necessary to say, this religious leader did something bad, and that is not the example for us to follow. And if we don't say that, I mean, it's true, by talking about these things, we could lose converts, we could lose people that we already have. People use this as their excuse to, to not come to church. Yet, I feel very often that when talking about these things openly, not in a spirit of maliciousness, not in a spirit of gossip, but simply in the spirit of honesty, then we're regaining the ground of just upholding the dignity of our faith. In other words, you know, I mean, I'll give you an extreme example. You hear that a priest molested a child. Okay. There's one school of thought that says, well, let's just never address that. Let's never talk about it. Yeah, like the bishops in the old days, let's sweep it under the rug. Okay, all right, maybe at the moment on the surface, you're not causing scandal because nobody knows that that priest molested that child. But in the long run, what's happening here? What are we going to do? Cover it up? We're going to give him a new assignment? We're going to put more children in danger? And then when people find out about it, well, look at those Catholics. Look at how horrible they are. They would put children in danger. As opposed to what I'm arguing for here to say, well, let's, let's identify, okay, that priest, all right, he could consecrate the Eucharist. He could absolve sins. He went through seminary. He's done a lot of good in his life, yet he molested a child. So guess what? As a church, we renounce what happened there. We renounce it. We kick him out of the priesthood. He is never, I mean, he can go to confession. He can be back in God's grace. Sounds to me like he needs therapy and, and maybe therapy that goes till the day he dies, which he never fully recovers from, you know, the, the, the situation of being a pedophile. And 
yeah, we show the world that we are not willing to tolerate that behavior. Okay, so that's an extreme example. What about a bishop who's openly in heresy? What about a bishop who's very uncharitable? What about priests who don't do their job or who don't do their job right? Who get up to say mass and don't say the right words of consecration or allow all kinds of other liturgical abuses? Well, one school of thought would say, let's just not talk about it because we don't want to judge them. And Our Lady has said in, I mean, we're talking private revelation here, but still messages that could be real. She has said, don't gossip about priests. I will take care of them. We should respect our priests. We shouldn't talk about them. Okay, I understand her to mean like, okay, priests have various defects. Let's not focus on them. Let's not just be dragging them down all the time. But if a priest is openly in heresy or openly committing liturgical abuses, I think it needs to be talked about. We need to identify like, okay, this guy is doing something bad. And that goes as high up as the Pope. If the Pope says something heretical, if our bishops are doing and saying things that go against our faith, it does need to be talked about because let's just say we're talking about converts, potential converts. Some might look at that and say, oh, look at you Catholics, you're all screwed up. Well, we need to start somewhere in fixing the screw up situation. We need to say, well, okay, That bishop has done something wrong because he's also a man, but that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. That's not what I believe. The priest that molested the child. Okay, we are against that is what we officially say. And there's so many other things we can say. But getting back to this gospel reading, the topic of spiritual pride, we see it everywhere in our church, especially when our worship is weak, when our prayer is weak, when our upholding truths of our faith is weak, it becomes more and more about social status. Well, look at me. I'm the pastor. Look at me. I'm in charge of parish council. Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm the the grand poobah of the Knights of Columbus, whatever they call that. I'm through quoting happy days there. Um, That's called spiritual pride, and our Lord is very much against that. Our Lord wants us to be servants, servants of him, servants of the truth, servants of one another, and not seeking our own gain, not seeking our own pride. And yet we're often guilty of this, and it's a huge temptation in leadership, especially in spiritual leadership. It was the sin of Lucifer. It was the sin of the Pharisees who literally put Jesus to death. And this is the thing Jesus gets excited about. So, I don't know, I look for balance in how to address these things and how to talk about these things, but also we have to look at it for ourselves because hopefully we are all striving to grow closer to God, which is great. That's our goal. That's what heaven is going to consist of. And yet it increases the temptation to spiritual pride where I could say, oh, look at me. I go to church every day. Oh, look at what I'm doing there by saying that. Hey, everybody, look at me. I've read the catechism. I've read the Bible. I know all about it. Okay. Why are you friends with Jesus? Is it so you can increase your social status? Because that's a problem. That's not what our faith is about. Or is it because you want to be closer to Jesus because we love Jesus because he made us and he saved us and he's arranging a place for us in heaven. 
and because he wants to be with us and help us every moment of our lives, and because he is a good God, a lovable God. The Father, Son, and Spirit are just overflowing love, and this is why we should long to be close to them and not for worldly status and standing. I want to just address very briefly here why people do commit this sin. I'm not talking about Lucifer now. I'm just talking about people that I know, including myself, you know, people in the world now. Why do we seek our own status? I really do believe, and once again, Our Lady is the example of this not just in speaking the words of the Magnificat, but the way she lived. Mary, I, I mean, she could have done anything. You know, she she was more powerful than any human being ever made. She's filled with grace more than any human being ever. She's the mother of God. Could she have taken advantage of her power? Yeah, she could have. She didn't, though. We believe she's without sin. And what goes hand in hand with that is her lowliness. She didn't say much and draw attention to herself. She didn't make herself the center of attention. She was there as a servant to her son, a servant to God Almighty. She was humble. She was loving. And you can bet she still served the people around her. She was still very good to the apostles and the other disciples and just anybody that they encountered. She was there to serve. And this is now for us. So why do we get caught up in this sin of spiritual pride, I really do think it's about trust and love. In talking to a lot of people who love to be on stage, I myself love to be on stage. I've done plays. I've done music of all sorts. Uh, I've done all kinds of things in the church that have put me up in front of hundreds and even thousands of people. And there is a temptation there to say, well, if I'm lonely, if maybe I didn't get enough attention in my younger days, or even in my current days, at least I'm going to get that applause. And I, and I talk to a lot of people in theater that say, yeah, you know, I don't have a good relationship with my parents. I don't even have a good relationship in terms of a boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever, but I get that applause. I go up on stage and the people love me. Okay. Well, that needs to be looked at (laughs) because do the people love you? There might be some genuine love going on there in terms of people's feelings. A lot of it just, though, is a passing thing. We're going to clap. We're going to say we enjoyed the show. Now we're going to go on with our lives. And what happens to stage actors and other people that like to be in the center of attention, they've come to find out that that attention that they got is fleeting. It doesn't last. And so if a person needs love, if a person wants love, and guess what we all do, It happens in genuine relationship with others, which means we might need to work on ourselves to make ourselves capable of better relationships. But then ultimately the, um, that part of our heart that's empty gets satisfied by God himself. And of course, a relationship with our lady and the the angels and saints, but yes, God made us with holes in our hearts that only he can fill. And that's, he made us this way. Plus sin deepens the wound. So this is what this is all about. If, if our religious leaders showed us how, I don't want to say needy, like it's a negative thing, like it has a very negative connotation, but if they could show us in a way their own spiritual neediness, their neediness for God and his love, and use that as the example that they give to us, then yeah, that would be ideal spiritual leadership 
religious leaders that are so in love with Jesus because they realize they're nothing without him. And then it wouldn't just be the words of Jesus, do what they say, not what they do. Then it would be, yes, do what they do. They need Jesus. They're desperate for Jesus to fill the holes in their hearts. Follow their example. But that, like I say, that's a huge temptation when you're in leadership to act like you have your act together, to act like, hey, look at me. I'm better than you. I'm better than everybody else. And you know what happens when you do that? You destroy the very thing you're trying to promote, love for God, a neediness for divine grace, which we desperately need versus those that are humble, spiritually humble, simple and little like a St. Therese, like the Blessed Mother. Those are the ones, you know, when they're simple, when they're humble, when they're not drawing a lot of attention to themselves, it's why, because they don't need it. They don't need the applause. They don't need the attention because they're being filled. They're being filled first and foremost in their relationship with Jesus. And hopefully when you get to know healthy people, it's holy people, but it's also healthy people. When you get to know some healthy people, sometimes they're hard to find. They have a certain confidence because there's a certain satisfaction, level of satisfaction in their hearts because they've been loved and they've felt that love. They've received it. They've appropriated it. I always find in teaching in a school, uh, the kids that cause the least trouble are the kids that have the best home life, plain and simple. Their, their, their cup is filled. Their heart is filled. They have good relationships. And very often we don't see good relationships with the father of the family. So when you see that, those are the healthiest kids. I, I leave out mothers there because mothers generally are better. Mothers generally are more faithful, more present in terms of that emotional you know, connection that the kids so desperately need. When a father is providing emotional connection, those are the healthiest kids, you know, because then their chances are they're getting it from mom and dad. Um, so anyway, it's good for us to know our weaknesses. It's good for us to know our needs. It's good for us to know we need people to love us, but most importantly, we need prayer and God to love us and to look at our own selves and say, what is my motivation? When I seek that position in the church, or whatever it may be, a position where I'm doing good for others, even in business or wherever it is that we work. Am I doing this out of service and out of love and in trust? Or am I doing this because I need more attention because I'm empty? And you know, there's no sin <laughs> in being needy and in needing attention and needing love. But then we say, okay, where am I going to go to get this? I'm not going to lord my power and authority over others to feel like I'm better than them. But rather, we seek it in good, healthy, and holy ways through decent friendships, through relationships with Jesus. Anyway, in the spirit of Our Lady, we go forward. In the spirit of Our Lady of Chestahova, we grow in our trust in Almighty God, that he hears us, that he knows our needs, and he cast down the mighty from their thrones while he lifts up the lowly. Have a great day. God bless you.